Good morning. Welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship and um, welcome Zoomers from all over. I'm going to read today Psalms 56. Lord, show me your kindness and mercy, for these men oppose and oppress me all day long. Not a day goes by but that somebody harasses me. So many in their pride trample me under their feet. But in the day that I'm afraid, I lay all my fears before you and trust in you with all my heart. What harm could a man bring to me? With God on my side, I will not be afraid of what comes. The roaring praises of God fill my heart, and I will always triumph as I trust his promises. Day after day, cruel critics distort my words. Constantly, they plot my collapse, lurking in the dark, waiting, spying on my movements in secret to take me by surprise, ready to take my life. They don't deserve to get away with this. Look at their wickedness, their injustice, Lord. In your fierce anger, cast them down to defeat. You've kept track of all my wanderings and my weeping. You've stored my many tears in your bottle. Not one will, will be lost. For they are all recorded in your book of remembrance. The very moment I call to you for a father's help, the tide of battle turns and my enemies flee. This one thing I know, God is on my side. I trust in the Lord and I praise him. I trust in the word of God and I praise him. What harm could man do to me? With God on my side, I will not be afraid of Amen. what comes. Amen. My heart overflows with praise to God and for his promises. I will always trust in him. So I'm thanking you with all my heart, with gratitude for all you've done. I will do everything I promised you, Lord, for you have saved my soul from death and my feet from stumbling so that I can walk before the Lord, bathed in his life-giving life. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. We do, Lord, roll the cares, our cares over on you, our fears, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that today you show us, Lord God, your mighty truths and promises, Lord, in your word. And I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in this house today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Cheryl, and welcome, everybody. I, I asked Cheryl to read that whole psalm because um, it's a little, what, insight into a life, part of the life of David that we don't talk about very much. We don't know very much about it, actually. Um, and yet it was a moment for David that was life-changing. Um, he was around uh, in late teens. It had been about two years before that he had brought Goliath down flat on his face, and he's on the run. Um, his father-in-law, King Saul, jealous of him, wanted to kill him. And so David is running for his life, 
from cave to cave, village to village, and that's the background of the psalm. Um, but what grips me is the heart of this psalm is that he, for the first and maybe the only time, he comes right out and, and says he's afraid. Uh, that That's not the language of David. Uh, he was anything but afraid. But he says so here. And he says, verse 3, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee or in you. And that's what I want to look at. I realize that today, literally today, um, I mean, when I say this week, I'm not talking about last year. It's, it's this day in which we're now living that is probably the most fearful time that I can remember um, in the history of a people that I've lived with. And, and so maybe the only parallel that I have to this is when I was in London during World War II. And, um, and that, for me, as a little kid, that was a nameless fear. Um, I couldn't really tell you what it was. I was afraid because all the adults were afraid. And, and as I picked it up, Whereas today, almost anyone you talk to for any length of time, you're going to get a very specific fear. And they come very close to saying, I was afraid. Uh, I am afraid. Um, fear, wherever you turn, I say again, we're afraid of ourselves. We're, we're afraid of our addictions. We're afraid of what we've discovered we're capable of. And... and we're afraid of our past that hangs over many people like a great black hand. Uh, we're afraid of our futures where all this is going to. And all those specific fears come out at a very uh, surface level in a multitude of anxieties, which it moves from being afraid to being a very fearful people. And we have just come, and I'm going to say this straight out, get me in trouble, but... Um, We've come through the COVID thing, and, and I don't know how many people uh, actually got COVID and how many people got the fear of COVID. Um, if, if you study the uh, great plagues that swept across Europe back there in the Middle Ages, uh, they, they've done it. They've taken the bones of the people that were in the common graves of those who died in the plague. And then now with all our advanced machinery, they've put them through the MRIs and they've done everything to say, what did this person die of? Well, on one level, we know what they died of. We got them out of the pit where they threw the, the plague victims. But these people didn't. They, they were there, but they didn't have the disease in their bones. They, they had no sign they'd ever had it. They, were, they died of a disease but really they died of the fear of the disease that actually caused them to experience every detail of the symptoms. Um, and, and, you know, I, I've said more than once that the whole world in which we've lived for the last three or four years is really a commentary on the fear of, of, of the Western world. Maybe the whole world. We're afraid of people, afraid of what people might do. 
we're, we're, we're actually terrified of going into the mall and finding some idiot there that just wants to blow us all to pieces. We, we, we're afraid of people. Um, we're afraid of government. We're, we're afraid of a future of our world. And we're afraid for the future of our grandchildren's world. Um, we're afraid of the difference in our generations. And so the older persons are afraid of the younger ones. And the younger ones are the older ones. And the, the media marks us off as generation this and generation that to make sure we know there's this awful difference. And we look at each other in fear. That's the way it is. We're in a world in which what they call normal, but we know it's madness. But they keep on calling it normal. We're afraid of sickness. We're afraid of the future of our finances. I could keep going. Um, you get the point if you needed to get it. It's, it's, that's the world we live in. Well, of all the Psalms, and there are plenty of them with David, when he was under tremendous pressure, but of all the Psalms, this might be the first one where he addresses the thing head on. He was a man in great trouble. And he's surrounded by people that are unashamedly, publicly trying to kill him. And, but it gets worse, really, because he brought the thing on himself. I said he must have been around, in my estimation, about 17 or 18 years old. He's being chased by his father-in-law, who is jealous because he had won the hearts of the people in the whole Goliath affair. And now his father-in-law wants to just do away with him. What's he going to do? As I said a moment ago, he's running from village to village, from cave to cave, from wilderness to wilderness, trying to escape this person who now has given his life to kill his son-in-law. He's in trouble. What does, what does David do? And he did something that I don't understand. I don't know as anybody understands. It was a, an act of absolute foolishness, foolish desperation. He went and got the sword of Goliath, which after the whole Goliath affair had been put away like in the Smithsonian, and now we go and see the, the sword would be as big as David. And, and what, what is this kid going to get a sword that is as big as him, I mean, not a sword you could hide under your coat. Uh, he's dragging it behind him. And what's he do? He goes to the land of the Philistines. He goes to hide from his father-in-law among the people where there's his picture on every post office to say this is the most wanted man. He, he, he's, this is the kid that killed our champion. And David goes to escape from Saul into the land of the Philistines. That's madness. Um, I, I don't know whether he expected them to welcome him as a great hero, uh, but obviously we know better. Um, he, he's been, in fact, if we had the time to take this psalm and turn its poetry into real history, uh, th this reads like some of our international spy stories. This is some of the CIA stuff that you, if you're into those kind of movies. Here's this kid, and he's being followed, and he knows it. As he goes 
past this alleyway. He sees people up there, and they're running to get him. He turns this way, they're running to get him. And at one point, they got him, and they kick him and smash him with their shoes. It's all there in the psalm. But you you begin to realize this is a man who's experiencing this. Uh, And he said, they're they're lying about me. They're laughing at me. Uh, And in the courts, they're, they're making these statements about me. And he's it's dawned on him now. This was the stupidest thing he ever did. They are actually out to kill him. And he's come pretty close because he describes himself as on the floor and being beaten with their shoes. came pretty close. And this is now. Some of the Psalms are not now. He's reporting on something that happened. Or he's anticipating something. But this, you can feel, this is happening now. And the tense that is used in the Hebrew language is now, now, now. They're coming to get me here. I'll run here. No, they're there. Uh, and, and it's like the, the, the man who thus being chased, he finally makes it to his room and he slams the door, locks the door and lays on his bed and his heart is pounding in his chest as, as I made it. I made it, but for how long before they bust the door down? And in the middle of that, with his heart beating, he writes this psalm. This this is a psalm that's written right on the edge of things happening. And it's in the middle of that, in that moment, he said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I say again, that's not words you usually find on David's lips. But he says, I am afraid. What's the foundation of fear? What on earth is it? The Bible says, and I think it's very clear, that the foundation of every fear is the fear of death. No matter what it is, the, the foundation of every fear is the fear of death. Um, the, uh, the church, the Western church, has made a big deal of sin coming in with Adam. Whereas the New Testament, as I read it, and certainly as the Eastern Church understood it, that carries us back mostly to the beginning, um, it was death. Adam, through Adam, death came in. Sin operates in death, but the, the great fear that came out of the Garden of Eden was not that I'm going to sin. The great fear, the terror of my undoing, my unbeing, the, the warning to them had been in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And they, they hardly knew what that even meant, that I shall no longer be. I will become an is not, an am not. It, it doesn't want to do with it. And they live in this terror. And it says very clearly, why did Jesus come? Hebrews 2.14. Since the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise also partook of the same. He came to save us. And so he took our flesh and our blood and became one of us. He partook of the same in order that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, 
and might free those who through fear of death were subject all their life to slavery. Um, the, the message and the message translation sometimes, you know, put, puts, hits the nail on the head. He said, since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death, by embracing death, taking it into himself. He destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. Yeah. So fear it's that invisible poison gas. You're, you're afraid. Where, where did it come from? It, it, it's like suddenly it's over you, all over you. It, and I say it, it, an invisible poison gas because you're breathing it, it seems, through every cell of your body. It's not a thing you touch, not a thing you think about that isn't affected by it. Right down to your heart rate, your blood pressure, everything else, indigestion. It's, it's, it's around our mind and the way we now think. It paralyzes both the will and the act of doing. I can't think straight anymore. I'm incoherent. And it means that there has been an entrance onto the stage, the stage of what I call my life. There has come onto the stage of my life someone or something it, it can be one person it can be a collusion of persons it, it, it can be a dominating event it can be something mental, emotional, physical but something has come on the stage of life and that immediately throws out Call it what you will, poisonous gas or chains that wrap around us. We find ourselves in a split second. We are, we are gripped in this thing. And then we participate in making this thing bigger than it is. And we do it by questions. We question that thing without looking at it because we don't want to look at it. One of the biggest things with fear is avoidance. I pretend it's not there. There are lots of people listening right now to this and they wish I wouldn't talk about it because they don't want to go there. That, that thing is there and it's glaring down at them and they'd rather avoid it, pretend it's not there. That's the way of fear. And we make it bigger and bigger by saying, what if she does this? What if she says that? What if this happens? Supposing she doesn't do it. Supposing, supposing what he does goes this way instead of on and on we go of all the what-ifs and supposings and we're flinging into the far future so we are paving the path of tomorrow with all of our fears and, and we're making this thing go bigger and bigger and bigger until we can see nothing else. And it does something to us. Again, I've studied David for most of my life. He's a fascinating chap. And, and I, and of course, we know more about him than anybody else. 
because he wrote the Psalms. And, and when you write the Psalm, you spill your guts uh, and you, you let people know where you're at. This is not David. But when he says, they oppress me, maybe a better way in English of saying that was they're making me their doormat. They're, they're wiping their shoes on me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, tramp, punching with their feet. Many fight proudly against me. Here's what I've been talking about. They distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They attack. They lurk. They watch my steps. As they have waited to take my life. It's that is someone talking as if although I know this is wrong, and although I'm calling on God to do something about it because this is wrong, at the same time, he sees himself in the way he writes, he's seeing himself as the beaten man. He's the kicked man. He's the doormat man. He's somehow accepted this. In his imagination, he sees himself as a doormat. He's, he's got a, an identity of one who's being kicked, and he doesn't know what to do about it, if anything. He's just laying there and said, I'm afraid. He has shriveled in his own imagination. He was this great and mighty David that was the word of awe in the words of everybody from Philistia through Israel and and now he's a man that's being kicked and used as a doormat, and he doesn't know what to do. He's, he's, he's almost written a new identity. Right now, right now, my heart is beating. Beating is happening right now, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Get the picture? We're not reading here something that happened last week. So he's got time for his beating heart to quieten down. He's got time for cool logic to take over and let's make a sensible plan of getting out of here. He's right there. The wounds of the last beating are still bleeding. It's hurting. And it isn't long in a situation like this before guilt comes in. And he's the extreme case because, yes, it was the stupidest movie ever made. He got himself into this trouble. But I think it comes with everybody. It doesn't matter what that dominating figure is, where it belongs in our life, if it belongs anywhere. But we, we, we say, if only I had. I wish I had. And here it comes, the condemnation. You shouldn't have. You ought to have done. And here you are now. Look at this. You're guilty. It comes with condemnation. <sighs> And, of course, the question, why on earth did I do it? Oh, the stupidity. Bringing this great sword, there it is in the bottom of his bed. You can't even hide it under the bed. His bed is smaller than the sword. What, what am I going to do? What, what possessed me to bring the sword of Goliath into the middle of his relatives who would happily kill me anyway? But now I'm taunting them. I'm carrying the sword of their fallen relative. Are you nuts? 
Did he really think this is better than being chased all over the country by his father-in-law? His father-in-law gave him no respect. His father-in-law would let him just drop dead for the coyotes. But this, these people are mad. They're, they're out to get him. Why? Yes, but there's another why there. Why, why did you let this happen? Of course, that's our question every time. And, of course, he didn't let it happen. David let it happen. And... um the Lord probably said, I think this is the daftest idea I've heard, but um, if you really want to go through with this, I'll come with you. You know, and uh, you, you want to see how this could all work out? Um, well, I'll come with you and see how it works out. And we should be thanking him that he's with us in this situation rather than saying, why are you letting it happen? He, he wasn't. But, of course... Um, Maybe the worst of all is that we're cowards. Uh, we, we don't want anybody to know that we're afraid. That, that's, that, that we, we want to keep this really under wraps. We'll put on a happy face. We'll smile from ear to ear. Um, everything's good. The church parking lot is a place of many lies. As you, as you meet with your Friends coming in at church and how are you today? Oh, praise God, everything's wonderful. Liar, liar. <laughs> it's not, and you know it's not. But, but to, to admit to people that I'm not living this abundant life and I'm not the victorious person that everybody said I should be, I put on the mask. The, the mask that I want this person, I know what this person wants to, to see me like, so I put on the mask. And I know what you need to, I put on the mask. Anything, rather than, no, I'm afraid and I don't want to do. No, we would never say that. Never, never say that. We re, that's when we write a psalm sprawled out across our bed, not knowing where to turn. Because you know what the answer would be, wouldn't it? They would say, well, you don't have enough faith. Good old church, shoot its wounded. You know, there's sin in your life. So throw that out. The fact is, this teenager did know a whole lot more than his face would betray. Uh, he doesn't look old enough to know anything. But remember, he was the one that brought down Goliath. So he had to know something when an entire army plus the king didn't know what to do. And it comes to him as he's writing these words, I... I'm afraid, but I will trust in you. That's a fascinating statement. <clears throat> he didn't say, I am afraid, but I will trust in God. Do, do you hear what that does? It removes you one step from him and says, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to trust him. I'm addressing you and telling you I'm, I'm going to trust God. What he's done actually is leave you out of the equation. He says, I'm afraid I'm going to trust you. Do, do you see the difference? Oh, yeah. um, he's not talking about a God that he's going to trust. He turns and meets that God eyeball to eyeball and says, I'm trusting in you. Yeah. It's the relationship. 
Let me tell you this, because my first thought as I looked at this, when I'm afraid, I will, I will, I will. Okay, he's in the middle of this equation. I will. That would be a great help, David. How, when you're in that situation and cold sweats running down your neck, how do you actually trust God? Do you follow me? No, you don't. Okay. Um, let me try again. Um, he, he is saying, I'm in this state of fear. I am afraid. I will trust in you. I would say the most difficult thing to do is to move from being terrified at life to quietly resting in God. How do you do that? He says it in one sentence. How do you do it? That's the whole thing. If I know how to do that, then, well, we've got half the problem solved. I will trust in you. I don't know how to say this properly, so I'll just say it, and we try and work it out. But there is a great difference between trusting in God to trusting God for what we perceive to be a promised outcome. Um, trusting God is a very simple matter. I'm in his hands. So help me, God, into your hands I commit my spirit. Um, but to trust him for an outcome, that I'm trusting you to do this, that now brings me into it and brings me into it usually in a very legalistic fashion. I, I was speaking at a conference somewhere between here and New Zealand, and um, it was one of those conferences. Yeah, I, I respect people. I don't... But... Um, that they, it was a conference, and it was about faith, and um, you got to confess, and if you confess enough that God is going to do thus and so, then He will. But if you don't confess enough, He won't. That right there is blasphemy, because it says that God is this mean creature, that though He knows the best that you long for, He says, "See if you can." say it enough times to convince me. Um, it means he's a cold, heartless, no compassion, no care. Just he's only waiting for the magic number of times you confess it. And um, I, I don't believe that, of course, never have. Um, but they asked me to speak at the convention. And I said, on the, I, if I do it my way, and that's the rest of that is another story. But... Afterward, this lady came to me, and, and before we even started talking, she she looked like, I say, a basket case, um, dark rings under her eyes, great furrows of worry and anxiety, and she looked exhausted. And she said that um, her daughter, little daughter, was in hospital, actually dying, 
And she said, I have been up now for four days confessing her healing because I know that if I stop confessing, she will die. And I said to her, what kind of a God do you worship? You think that you love your daughter more than God does, that you are more concerned, you know the very best for your daughter, far more than God does. He is this monster that you have to come with all your confessions to convince him to do something. But there's no love there. He doesn't care. He got the confessions, and that's enough. Um, she was horrified, of course, by what I said. And because uh, I said, now, put your daughter in the hands of the God who is love, whose face is the face of Jesus Christ, yes. and go home and sleep for three days. I said, because you, you're you're going to be the next one in hospital. And finally I convinced her. And she went home and slept. And in the night the baby was healed. And um, which doesn't surprise me. Uh, that That's the relationship I'm talking about. Relationship is not to an outcome. She was saying, I won't stop confessing until you do it my way. You do, do what I tell you to do. And um, I'm saying put yourself and the baby into the hands of God and say thank you. You know more about this and you love us both more than we know. And so it's safe to do that. that that's, that's the relationship I'm talking about. Many times we take a promise of God. Well, a promise is only as good as the one who said it. So why don't we cut to the chase and just trust him? And this this is his promise. But the moment we get a promise from God, we are now going to, what do I have to do to make it happen? Yeah. Well, how do I bring this to pass? In the case I just said, it was confession. And um, others, of course, it's fasting, it's prayer, it's howling, it's wailing, it's groveling. Is telling God how wretched we are. We tell God he, we're not worthy of him even doing this, but we're going to try anyway. And, and um, that, that's, not, that's not resting. That's not relationship. Um, and and it, it comes down to this in many cases. I'll give you one more story about a very close friend of mine. Although it's not firsthand, I wasn't there, but he was. And I trust him. And um, by a long, convoluted, complicated mess of things, he was stranded in Canada. He lived in the U.S. He was in Canada, but the only thing he had legally was a Chinese passport. And uh, this is just background. Uh, that's a long story. But And so he couldn't get from Canada back home, not with a Chinese passport. He had to go back to China and get papers. So in that state, stranded in Canada, he gets the most rare of diseases, which was tuberculosis of the nerve endings. Every nerve ending in his body was affected by TB, and he was screaming with pain. And he, he didn't sleep, he hallucinated. He was, you can only begin to imagine and he was of the same thought and belief that that lady was that I just talked about. And so in moments of some sort of clarity, 
he would confess, I'm healed, I'm healed. And um, then he would go off again into his wild wilderness of where he was at and then back again and, and grasp for a promise of God and say, and finally, uh, he knows hardly how long that had been, but he came to a clarity for a good period of time. And he said, this is insanity. He said, I don't believe this anymore. And that was his prayer. Now remember, it's as first-hand as he did this, he told me. Um, he said, Jesus, I'm so terribly sorry, but I don't believe you anymore. I've laid here in screaming agony. You've done nothing, and I don't believe you anymore. And I, I'm, I'm too sick to even think about that. I don't know what to do with that except to be honest with you and tell you I don't believe you. So what I am asking is the only thing I can think of now. He said, can I climb up on your lap? Would you hold me very tight until all this is over? And he said, then we'll talk about it. He said, he fell into a natural sleep almost immediately, which he hadn't had for weeks. And when he woke up, the healing had already begun. And the nurses were going crazy. Everybody's going crazy. What's happened? And um, it was only a very short period. He was released. And um, released, but spitting mad. He said, what on earth is this? I tell Jesus I don't believe him. And he heals me. I spent all those weeks screaming at God and nothing happened. Well, it took him a good while to realize the first time he believed God and trusted him was when he said those words. Let me climb up and hold me. That's it. That's it. That's the essence of trust. I don't know where this is going. I'm too sick to even think about it. And I, I'm too afraid to think about it. So just hold me tight. And then we'll talk about it afterward. And, and, and that's, that's what I'm saying, a relationship. He said, I am afraid. My trust, that's the word we're trying to get at here, this trust, is in you. Actually, the word, and it, this is my New American Standard Bible, says my trust is in thee. And I, and I know, you know, we're far gone from using old English um, but that wasn't just a quaint thing that people did in the middle ages the was the most intimate and personal you today in our slick English we cut out if I want to look at you in the eye and speak only to you and speak with love and intimacy in the Middle Ages, I could say thee. Thee is that. If I'm talking to you all, well, you. But, but thee is reserved for that intimate relationship. And um, David said that. He said it. I'm afraid, but my trust is in thee. 
It's an intimate relationship. I know you. I trust you. As I say many times, when you have a promise from God, before you actually imbibe the promise, go back to thee. And who who said this? And it changes everything. This isn't a promise. This is the thee who is speaking to me. Um, he's communicating this to me. Um, that's the essence. I really could stop there in one sense. Um, fear, you see, is that something's happened to that relationship. Or we might never have known that relationship, as intimate as that. And now, and it is a very good thing that you find yourself here, because it's bringing you face to face with that. Um, fear is not a mysterious force that comes out of nowhere and strangles us, though that's what it feels like. It means that we have neglected this relationship with the I am. You know, the Lord in the Old Testament should be translated I am. I am that I am. And fear is the arresting point and telling me to um, get up and face this. And it's a, it's a sort of simple matter. And now I, I said, how do you get from this to this? Well, it's very simple in that sense. This is bearing down upon me, terrifying me, and darkening my whole life. Whereas he has got purpose and plans of love, has potential of love. And all I do is put myself in his hands and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't. I, I don't even really know what to ask for. Paul said that. Yeah. He says, we don't know how to pray as we ought. And, and so there's a, there's a wonderful safety in that free fall. I trust you. Just let me sit on your lap, hold me tight, uh, and we'll talk about it later, you know. But right now I don't know what to do. Um, I find the Western church has essentially forgotten. They've, they've ceased to recognize the person We've momentarily forgotten in all the equations that religion has dumped on us. And the fact is, all I need is for this one, who is bigger than all the dictators, he's bigger than all the land of the Philistines put together, just let him walk on the stage, and his presence is the one who is peace. It's easy to say, but that is the truth. You've heard my story, but just look at it like this, if we can. Um, being raised through, throughout the war and with the bomb shelters and the, everything that goes with it, I came out of the war, which I now recognize, to, I had PT, what is PTSD, um, because any time there was a noise, uh, that sounded remotely like anything I'd heard in the bomb shelters, uh, it would drive me crazy. Um, the night in which it was celebration all over England because the war was over and 
they had bonfires in every street and crazy. And I was hiding under my bed because I thought it was another bomb attack. And um, and it, it came to a head during the Kuwait war. Do you remember that? Um, and um, they were given a report on CNN, but the report was coming from Tel Aviv. And... Um, as the reporter is speaking, the air raid siren in Tel Aviv went off. And again, now that was years after Bob Fjellis, but I felt the same necessity. It was, and so I'm realizing that's, that's what was happening to me. And I lived the years from when I was five, six years old coming out of the war. For the next six years or so, I was, in, in a very strange mental place. And I don't know what anyone would have done in those days about it, if I'd have ever had consultation. But what the Holy Spirit did is walk into my life in such a way that I had to recognize him and recognize him as filling my life from top to bottom. And it was the recognition of the presence of God in the Holy Spirit that healed me to the very depth of my being and totally transformed the, the future path of my life. Um, it was not an equation. People say, how were you healed of, of all that trauma that came through the war? Well, I wasn't, not in the sense you're asking. You know, you're, you're asking, how did they pray for you? What did, no, it was just the entrance of the person. And when the person came, nothing had changed. The war had been the war. Hitler was Hitler. Bombs were bombs, bomb shelters and everything. Nothing had changed one iota. But everything changed. Because in the middle of the picture now was the living, all-present Holy Spirit making known to me the love of God and and that changed everything. You see, in Bible days especially, um, a trust would be backed up by a covenant. You didn't just trust. You made a covenant with a person, and, and trust was given. And um, a covenant, of course, is life and death. We, we say to one another, pray for me. That's, that's okay. But there's no indication that you're going to. Um, it, it's not something I can guarantee that person is praying for me. Whereas a trust in the Bible meant I have a covenant with this person that to both of us is life and death. Um, that's why there was bloodshed at the making of a covenant because this is a matter of pouring out my life for another. And so David had this consciousness of a covenant that existed between him and, and, and God. And it's in Psalm 89. The whole covenant is spelled out. But um, let me just uh, uh, spec read it. He says, um, I found David my servant with my holy oil, I have anointed him, with whom my hand will be established. I will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him. 
the son of wickedness will not afflict him. He shall crush his adversaries. My faithfulness, my loving kindness will be with him. And in my name, his horn or his um, authority, uh, strength, uh, initiative will be exalted. He will cry to me, you are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. And then he goes on to say, and we can't go there, but um, it says in the covenant that he would be the one through whom Jesus would come. And everything that the father would give to Jesus comes back on David and he's blessed with the... And that's why we accept this covenant as ours. Because if David received that backwards to him, we receive it forward in that we are in Christ, the son of David. And then it says, my loving kindness I will keep for him forever. My covenant shall be confirmed to him. And then he says, I will not deal falsely in my faithfulness. I know that's, I mean, you just read that. But God is saying, David, I will never lie to you. If I say something, it means it. My covenant that I'm making with you, I will not violate it. You won't wake up one morning to hear that I've abandoned you and thrown the covenant back in your face. And then I love this. He says, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. That is, he doesn't say, well, it's been a thousand years now. It's about time we revise this covenant uh, and we'll alter some of these things. We were, you know, it was a bit extreme back in those days. No, he says, I'll never alter it. I will not lie to David. That was the, the covenant. That's what David's trust was. He's flat on his face saying, I'm afraid, but I still know, I still know that you said you will never lie to me, that you will never have any twist and say we don't really mean that anymore. No. And so another psalm, which might have been written um, a few years hence from this one, Psalm 23. And remember he says, surely, that's a strong word. Um, slang today would mean you can take this one to the bank. Um, surely, there's nothing in heaven and earth that can change this. Surely is a covenant word. He says, surely goodness, just plain goodness and loving kindness, God's covenant love will follow me. And of course that word is relentlessly pursue me all the days of my life. It's okay, David, you can rest in this one. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And notice um, that, that same psalm. It's back again to the person. He says, um, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will, here we go again, you say, I will do this. How, how do you do that? I will fear no evil for or because you, here we are, you 
are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It wasn't secondhand. Amen. It wasn't secondhand. So this trust was not something that had the parking lot mask. This is he doesn't have to, you know, doubt in his heart and hope you don't see it. He, he's simply resting. And if it means I'm resting, I can be quite a mess and it's okay. You know, my friend in Canada, he was a mess and didn't get it straightened out till afterward. Even though he'd hit the secret of all secrets is what it's about. He didn't get it. I, I can be in David's place, heart beating, don't know where to turn, so help me God, I'm afraid. I will trust in you. Doesn't mean suddenly the whole place is full of little bluebirds and it, it means that I now can rest. I can free fall into the love of God and still a million things I don't understand, but I know I'm safe. I know I'm safe. Um, I will trust in you. That means there's no condemnation, no fear. You don't trust in someone that you believe is condemning you and rejecting you. Trust. It's a place of being known without shame. So I can let, I did this, but I, I receive your forgiveness. I know the relationship we have. Um, and I can take all my crazy ideas out that are making this thing far worse than it is. All my imagination's gone insane. And I lay it down and say, you know, show me the truth here. I know I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it all distorted. Fear has distorted me. And so trust is seeing the entire situation through the eyes of God, the I am, through the eyes of love. So I, I'm, I'm no longer seeing the lies. I'm no longer hearing what the imaginary demons are doing and saying. It's face-to-face -face with my covenant love, friend, trust, the assurance of acceptance without condemnation or disgust. And I know the future is okay. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who he is. And if, if he's holding me, we're, we're okay. I don't have to go there and say, what if, what if. It's okay, and in that, there is an infusion because at the heart of every covenant is I inside of you and you inside of me. Never does it say we're beside, we're not beside him. He's not beside us. That's an Old Testament word. In the New Testament, Jesus said, in this day, you will know. That is, nothing's going to change. But now you'll you'll know you'll you'll wake up to it, and, and you will know that I have I haven't got just gone invisible. I have gone to the Father, and I've gone to the Father to carry you with me. And now I am in you, even as I'm in the Father. I'm in you, and you are in me. That's how close this is. It gets beyond beside, and we actually move inside each other. 
and I'm inside of him and he's inside of me and we don't lose each other inside of each other. We're, we're, and that leads to strength. That leads to rest. Clarity of mind. But it didn't stop there. David talks to himself. This is very passage that we've really come to rest in there. Um, in God whose word I praise, in God I put my trust. I will not be, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? That That's a conversation he's having with himself. Yeah. And if you can hear this, you'd better get used to talking to yourself. Because if you don't talk to you, then your broken self will. And whoever's doing the talking is uh, guiding the boat. And so if you don't talk to yourself, truth, then your broken self will talk and and talk very um, well. Your broken self is an expert in lies and and therefore can convince people even when their better self knows that's not true. But no, and and I'm not joking here, you know. Um, Our broken self is in alliance with the enemy and is always trying to take control of us. It's what the other word in the New Testament is, flesh flesh and um, if he takes control he's seeking to achieve the enemy's agenda and convince us of this demonic imaginary world that arises out of brokenness and the enemy's agenda and if you don't talk to yourself you'll hear the enemy's voice coming out of your own mind Um, the enemy is a ventriloquist very good one because the what you hear coming out of your head sounds exactly like you and and again you're confused but what david does not only here but more than once to remember the one everybody knows bless the lord O my soul all that is within me bless his holy name who's he talking to himself and um there's a time to take yourself by the neck and say get with it for goodness sake It's time to talk to yourself. And um, let me try and say this before we quit. The incarnation is Jesus is the word of God. That is, the Father will never speak apart from Jesus. The Father speaks, but we hear the voice of Jesus. And, And... the word of God became flesh. That is God's voice. His final word is now inseparably and seamlessly joined with the voice of the human. You ever thought about that? Um, If God became flesh, and of course there's a whole module of the Bible school right there, he became flesh, but that's 
at the Bible school. Um, God became absolutely one of us where we are and as we were. And all the volume of the, the words of the human race are words of lies, words of rebellion, words of I am not, and so on. And now God the Son, the Word, becomes us. So it means that now God's final word Mm -hmm. is seamlessly joined to the voice of the human race. God can talk to me in language I understand. Yes. He, he's joined us and he's, he's fluent in the broken language of human. But he came and planted himself right in the middle of us. God speaks now with a human voice. Mm-hmm. He did that for us. You've always got to ask yourself, why on earth would Jesus do that? Until you've answered that question, there's no answer to your question. That's the question, why would he do it? Because for him, it was nothing but pain and suffering. For Jesus, it was pain and suffering to come into our flesh. That's the whole brokenness that hates him and hates his father. Why would he come and join us there? And why there would God now speak with the human voice of Jesus? Why? For us and our salvation. There's no other reason, whatever. Therefore, he's not doing this as a sort of religious party show. Um, He's not saying, look what I can do. Um, He has come. This is a vital part of saving us he comes and he takes on the human voice of humanity only now as he speaks to the father it is not a voice of rebellion and rage it is the voice of his dearly beloved son he has become my voice to the father and that's what you mean when you say amen you mean he speaks and I say, that's right. You know, I join this. Yes. Um, he, and of course, he's equal to the entire human race. He created us, so he's equal to us. So that means one who is equal to, who is of infinite worth, is now speaking as me, and for me. And it means that when he speaks, I hear him speak in my language to the Father. And it is for me to say amen to that. It's not trying. I didn't originate it. He came into us and I'll say this and don't misunderstand, but you've got to realize it without our permission. Amen. That, you know, you've got to be very careful when you say, I invited Jesus into my heart. I know what you mean. I'm not messing with that. But 
Did you really? Um, all I can say is it's a jolly good job he came in first, uh, so you could invite him. Um, this is God's salvation. It's not ours held together with duct tape. Um, he came into us, and now from within us, he's become the new head of the human race. He He's the one that everything now goes through him, and we go through him to the Father, and the Father comes to us through him. And so he speaketh on our behalf. And when I hear his voice within me speaking to the Father, I say it with him. And I don't say that as a puppet, where the puppeteer is moving the mouth and the... No, in the wonder of the Holy Spirit, this is real. Yes. He really is inside of me right now, really is. And he's really speaking to the Father and saying, Abba, my dear daddy, Father. Mm-hmm. And what do we do? The Spirit says, go on, go on, witness with us. You, you, you say that. And we say, Abba, Father. Yes. So all he says, we say, all he is, we is, and the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Again, it's not struggling and trying. If he says, do it, I say, you've done it, I take it. It's, there's no struggle. Um, Clint brought up a very important thing last week. Um, I want him to talk more about it. And I'll be honest with you, it took me by surprise. I, I've never been there before. 70 years and I missed it. But um, but when he brought it up on paranoia, uh, if you remember that, yeah. we talk about metanoia, which means the opening up of my mind to, to see as God sees. Paranoia, it's a Greek word that means um, two minds. It, it means one mind alongside. Sometimes it's used of kind of being outside yourself. Yes. Other times there's myself and there's another mind. And, and, and um, But whichever way you look at it, it's a mind that's beside my mind, which means I've got two minds, and I don't know who I am now. I'm totally confused. And, and yeah, out of your mind. And, and um, out of your mind to, to the point where... Um, I'm now hearing this and hearing that. Yeah. Uh, paranoid. I'm, and um, but take away the extreme, and, and it's saying that you now have the mind of Christ. Uh, do you really believe that? Yeah. You don't have to look at me, but um, <laughs> you know it says one Corinthians two, and he's really building up there. He he says, you know, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Never end. There's no mind that can communicate with your mind what's really going on here. And then he says, but that's not true. He said it was true when Isaiah first spoke this, but it's not true anymore. And he says, now the Holy Spirit has come. And when the Holy Spirit has come, he's given to you the mind of Christ. So that eyes not seen, ears not heard, 
is no longer a mystery because you have the mind of Christ and he thinks of that all the time. You've only got one mind. You're not paranoid. You've got one mind. It's the mind of Christ. And you hear his voice. You speak it. You see what he's doing in a situation. You you have many ways of saying it. And I don't criticize any of them. You know, I just had the urge. I, I felt. Some would even say, I saw it. He said, of course, that's what Jesus said. He said, I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. I don't do anything until I see the Father do it. Same thing. And David said, in that sense, what he was saying echoed the voice of I am. It's not so much David said it. David was saying yes to that. Yes, I say amen to that. And I say it now. And as I say it, he's saying, I'm in him, and I hear him. He's in me, and I say what he says. The Holy Trinity knows. See, that people don't realize it. He's on your side. He likes you. It's, it's not the one hard to please who says you've got to confess it ten more times. He's on your side. The Holy Spirit knows that it is the most difficult thing to nakedly trust him when I'm hurting, when I'm in mental, emotional, physical pain. It's very hard to trust him. He knows that. He's your best friend. (laughs) What do you think he's going to do with that? He's not going to kick you out. He says, no, I put my son inside of you. He'll do the talking. There are times I don't know what to say. Times I don't know how to pray. In a certain area, I'm hurting too badly. I I want to be a pop psychiatrist and write down my request and Make sure it's said in all the right tenses and and then say it. And there now, God, you've got to do it. Yeah, I said it properly. And stupid. Flush it down the toilet. You don't think he knows what? He knows two things. He knows the most incredible pathway of love that he's laid out. And he's actively now in you and with you to make it happen. He also knows what you think is the most wonderful thing in the world to see. And he honors that. What you think um, is of tremendous importance. But it only comes to pass when I come to that point. I I trust you. It's a free fall because I don't know where that goes. I'm not telling you how it's going to look when I hit bottom. And maybe when I hit bottom, I realize I've sat down on top. I I don't know. I don't know much anyway. But David spoke. But as he spoke, he said, it's your word I'm speaking. I'm going to leave it there.